Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of Fempeak, a fast-growing digital platform forging a new path for women to reach their peak potential with an integrated ecosystem of lifelong learning, career opportunities, and marketplace. My guest on today's podcast is the legendary Dame Stephanie Shirley, also known as Steve. She is an information technology pioneer, a super successful businesswoman, and a philanthropist. I read her fantastic book, Let It Go, and watched her amazing TED talk, and I fell in love with her. I also have to tell you about something else that makes today's episode super special. I co-hosted today's episode with another legendary woman, Sue Nelson. Sue is another successful businesswoman, and what was interesting was that between me, Steve, and Sue, we covered three different generations, 20 years of Part, each with our own unique perspective. So without further ado, let's get right into it, as I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today was, you know, when you started, women in technology wasn't a thing, right? This whole diversity conversation wasn't a thing. But you built a technology-based company with so many women in it, right? And I wanted to see how you see the generations changing. And do you think that we are progressing or do you think that we are actually regressing? And it would be really interesting to hear your thoughts um, and and you know, how you see things, are they progressing? When you look at the statistics over the past immediate short term, uh, they are progressing and everybody's making a great big effort at the moment. But if you look back to Victorian times, the figures there were about um, 31% for women owning or running their own businesses mm -hmm. compared to 21% today. And it just shows that trends can go backwards as well as forwards. And so it's, it's one of the reasons why I think women, all women and our allies, male and female, um, really have to keep pushing some of these issues to make sure that we um, are building an inclusive society, not just for women, but for uh, the other diversities as well. And one yeah. of some of your, your books and... and, and... Speaking, I think people forget, I mean, I was brought up in the 1960s. You started your business in the 1960s. You couldn't even open a bank account without your husband's permission in those sorts of times. And there were certain places that you couldn't work. And, and in that respect, there's been, a, there's been an immense amount of improvement, hasn't there? Um, in terms of business, I'm not so sure. I think what's happened is that my generation of women did succeed in breaking down some of those legal barriers. Um, but that leaves today's women really dealing with the much more difficult cultural issues of um, how do we deal with the um, fact that men tend to worldwide and his, uh, over history um, act as a superior group. How can we stop being made, made to feel inferior, having our ideas uh, brushed aside and so on? You know, these are much more sophisticated and nuanced issues that I'm glad I don't have to deal with, but I had specific things that I was fighting. One of the things that was really inspiring to me when I was reading your story, you know how you talk about the way that you came from uh, Germany when you were five years old and, and your, uh, you were separated from your parents. I actually grew up during the Iran-Iraq war and that exact same happened to me. Uh, same thing happened to me when I was six years old and my parents took me to uh, the north of Iran um, and they left me there with a distant family that I didn't know and you know it was a similar kind of situation. So um, I come from a similar kind of uh, background and um, when you talk about the fact that women had to have um you know have some, your husband um you know uh, it's um, like that, yeah it's the same in iran it's the same yeah. like basically iran is like many many years uh, back so although i'm from a newer generation i grew up in iran so it was similar to me um uh, did you have any thoughts on that you wanted to say something sue yes i mean i think um i think the thing that i find really interesting is that that what I would call good men, as opposed to ones who are a bit of a bully and who, who are constantly patting you on the head uh, because they seem to know better, is that quite often they will say they are stunned that some of those things have happened to us, that you've been cut across or molested or, or, or taken no notice of in meetings. Um, and, and they find it quite difficult to see. And I think part of the issue for me is trying to get the good guys 
to um, help us to break that down. I don't think it's just a women's job, actually. And I think there's, I think for me, um, Steve, I think there's been more of an acceptance that this is a collective responsibility, not just a female responsibility. And I do consider that a bit of a step forward. I wonder how one can make these points to the good and the bigoted uh, men. And it seems to me that we actually have to speak out and say, you know, present them with the, the women in their own organization. Um, this is how they see the organization. This is how I feel. This is what happened to me yesterday. This is what happened to me three months ago. Um, so that they actually know this is going on now and it's me that has to do something about it. Uh, because many men are horrified when they, when they actually realise um, the sort of discrimination that we're still um, subjected to. I find the older men with daughters easier perhaps to persuade um, in that you can sort of say, well, how, how would you feel about your daughter? Um, but uh, that, that's you, not true of everybody. Do you think that, um, that, that women in some respects you know, are not pushing themselves forward as well. So, so you get this gap between not only pushy guys pushing you out of the way, but also women perhaps saying, oh, well, I, th I think I'm not approached that because actually I, I am probably got too much on my plate and I can't be bothered or, or, or B, I just, I just don't want the confrontation. Um, so I think there's, there's not only a gap of men doing that, there's, a, there's sometimes there's a gap of women not, not, not approaching it. I think in the corporate world, um, many women, as indeed some men, uh, find that the cost of success is not worth it, um, that it's not a lifestyle to which they aspire, it's not a group to which they want to belong. Um, yes, there are certain pleasant aspects of it. Um, and I think we, we, we need to look at that. Um, can the corporate world be, become more family friendly, before, become more female? And when we talk about the feminization of industry worldwide, because women are, are you know, 50% of the population, if not 51%. And, and you know, if, if, if really using us in the workplace fully, um, has the biggest economic impact of all the diversities. I mean, I'm also involved, which I hope I'm going to be able to tell you about, um, about you having people with autism in the, in the workplace. Um, that's important, it's right and proper. There are different sorts of diversities, the ones that you can see like gender or color, or, um, the, but the ones that are sort of hip, hidden disabilities like autism, dyspraxia, um, the one I've got, diabetes. Um, the, these are things that um, all have to be considered um, because we really do need in this 21st century uh, the, the energy and incentive to make the world a fairer place and make it equitable for everyone. I think one of the things that um, Somi and I were talking about on Saturday um, is that, that I'm not a particularly well-educated person and, and, and the, the way that Somi's, you know, history and she was brought up, you know, she, her access to education was quite difficult. Um, and, and I believe one of the great um, things that keep getting missed is, is the diversity of people's backgrounds and education. So I would be what <laughs> used to be described as working class, uh, you know, living with an outside toilet and, you know, in, in a inner city London, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, 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 and yet you can have, I think you'll see this in government, you can have an incredible racial mix. Thank the Lord. Very good. However, all of those people went to the same school and the same universities. And I'm not convinced that gives you a great deal of diverse thought and, ex and experience. So for me, that bit seems to keep getting missed out. I don't That's know. That's interesting. Female diversity really started in government. You know, when we had the first woman prime minister, Bandranaika, the first women senior civil servants, they really were very good about it because it was all in a, a wonderful book. I've forgotten what it's called now, when I was in the civil service. And it really said how you had to recruit. And in no way was that sexist. Um, but it's taken time to spin out in, in, into the wider world. And uh, the, the pressure on 
minorities or women we often behave like a minority perhaps we should discuss why is this why do we feel this is not for me why do we feel that uh, you know my voice squeaks like we might sort of say that the men's voice voices growl but that you know you go into a meeting where you're one of the few women if not the only woman and you say oh god my voice is going to squeak um, <laughs> we, we make some of the difficulties ourselves you know uh, we actually looked at um why women were held back in business and technology. I'm going to come to that and share with you because I created a think tank for women in business technology and we found there are six reasons. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to ask you something about, uh, basically, I always try to explain the reason why I want more women uh, in the top tier of business and technology is not necessarily just the diversity from the viewpoint of, you know, uh, corporations getting more diversity and uh, like the, the things that are on a surface level people are talking about these days. But it's more because I feel like in 21st century, we are merging with technology and that merging of humans and technology. You know, you think about, you know, this, for example, I, give, I always give this example of this ring I wear that um, tracks my sleep, you know, tracks um, everything that I do on a daily basis. But it wasn't designed by women. So when it's near my period, it tells me that I'm not, um, you know, it's like it says. For example. The yeah. One, there's so many old ones. That's a new one. But it get, I wake up in the morning and it, and it says, um, are you okay? Uh, your heart rate, like it's like your body temperature is uh, higher than usual. It's like it doesn't recognize. Oh, it's a wonderful way of making the point. Yes. Yeah, so women are not in the forefront of creating these technologies. And that means that we are going to create technologies and this merger of whether it's from a biotechnology perspective, whether it's from a, you know, uh, these types of artificial intelligence, you know, through machine learning by now, this should know I'm a woman. And actually I've written in my bio that I'm a woman. So it should recognize that I have a cycle, but that has not yet been sorted. <laughs> you know? So this is more of an important reason for me wanting to get women into technology because these technologies are being uh, driven and built by uh, half of the population. But it is this business of the meritocracy. I mean, women, we have to become creators as well as consumers. Exactly. There is a position in the world that we have to fill. And if we back away from that for whatever reason, uh, we're not doing our gender any, any favors. I, I used to do this um, particular talk thing, which I got pilloried for, uh, which was, can women stop making chutney and get into tech? You know, uh, as a joke, you know, as a sort of joke, you know, women, women will be very attracted to being, you know, in, in the artisan food production area, was actually, we don't need you over there, we need you over here. Because the pinkification of technology is when guys are going, oh my God, now we've got to create a female version. So, you know, we'll make it pink and we'll do this and we'll do that and do the other. And the same thing, we're not actually on the ground floor of designing it, you know, from the ground up. Um, and, and that's as much women not doing that as a career choice when it's an, an amazing career, I think. I cannot imagine a career more suitable for women. You know, there's know. no physical um, strength involved. It's purely ideas and, and, and concepts that I can create um, and things that women are traditionally rather good at communications and um, personal relationships. So, you know, the thing is that um, when we looked at why, so there's six reasons I said that why women were not in the top tier. And those six reasons comes to lack of, lack of confidence, lack of financial literacy, lack of tech skills, lack of business skills, uh, lack, um, you know, lack of understanding or uh, enough data about women's health. So that is around PMS, menopause, you know, childbirth, all that stuff and lack of family and relationship support. Now, the one that I personally uh, suffered from most was my um, lack of family and relationship support, where it was basically I had to make a choice between uh, a relationship and my career. And I chose my career. Most people, most women would choose their relationship you know would you, and, and, uh, would you regret that would you choose differently from how you are all. not at all like i, I in, over the last year i've built a business that's now valued at 30 million pounds that would have never happened if i had stayed in that relationship um 
you know, there are some aspects of it that I do miss, but of course there's the, the bigger picture in the bigger picture. I think I would have been unhappy if I couldn't pursue what I really wanted to. And I was thinking of myself being at my deathbed, which one, you know, would I be saying, I wish I had pursued what I really wanted. Also, I've been out for lunch with her, Steve, and she gets no lack of male attention, trust me. So whenever she wants to dip back into that, <laughs> you'll be fine. That <laughs> uh, wouldn't happen to me at 60, I'm afraid. But <laughs> Look, I, I, I keep saying, let's, uh, let's give this Botox a chance. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Um, so, so Steve, I wanted to um, to ask you a little bit your thoughts a little bit around digital assets. How do you feel about you know having been so early on uh, in that space of you know technology? One of my biggest worries, you know, when we were talking about those six reasons, one of them being lack of financial literacy, and. You know, when I look at where we are living in this world where governments are printing money right, uh, left and center, and um, I, I really worry that women are going to be left behind once again in the digital asset space. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you looked into digital assets like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I don't know, NFTs, things like that? Do you think there is something here missing again? I certainly have the feeling that women are already falling behind on the tech side, um, and it is largely the lack of finance. I mean, as soon as you get into cryptocurrency or stuff like that, I, I just sort of say, but it's not beyond me to know that this is an unregulated market, and I make a decision that I'm not going into that market full stop. If it's regulated, I'll start to have a good look at it. Um, how, do other people react differently? I, I, I think it's quite a dangerous field. But, but internet was not regulated. It's not. It's still not regu regulated. If you wanted to think that way, you know. But think it was about set up a purist. It was set up to something beautiful, and although it's got a little bit bespurched, it is still um, the world wide web. Hmm. I don't know. I worry so much that, uh, you know, that, like right now, only a fraction of cryptocurrency holders are women. And what if, you know, what if that becomes something really the next big thing? It, isn't it, doesn't it make sense for us to have at least a little bit of it, like have a... Hmm. a I'm going to sort of put little bits of pots of money on everything that might be something in the future. No, I think one should be much more selective and, and, and focus. What are the things that interest you in, in, in the world, in the future, um, for you as a person? And it's important for women and, and others to um, concentrate on, on, on the human side. We know a lot about ourselves. We know, uh, you know, when as a philanthropist, I just focus on things that I know and care about. There are lots of things I don't know about. Some of them I would like to know about, but mostly not. I, to, to know more and more about um, some concept, some aspect of life, this is what is, gives, gives for quality. And so me, um, for me, the, the financial thing is not about stuff like that. And again, it may be my age, but I'm really not interested at all. Um, I think what I'm much more interested in is getting women in business much more financially literate and understanding exactly where they are financially because I think that's one of the big gaps um, and and if you don't if you don't understand your balance sheet and you don't know where you are in terms of profit and loss and and, and ex if you're not all over your finances when you run a business you will never scale it up and I'm more worried about that than than I think that's the fundamentals right like that's the fundamentals absolutely but at the same time I think there there is a possibility because of the decentralized nature of you know DeFi uh, there is a possibility for uh, things like microfinance for women there. You know, I'm, it's one of the areas that I'm researching right now, and I wonder whether there is an opportunity for us eventually to create like a DeFi, you know, um, loan platform for women who wouldn't get a loan otherwise. You know, there's. I think it's it's worth. Uh, definitely researching it. And, and I'm not saying that that should be like the forefront, but it's in the back of my mind and I'm slowly researching it. And I just worry that if we don't, you know, it's another area that we could fall behind. 
but microfinance is something that is really helping worldwide um, getting um, some of the benefits of the Western world um, across um, all the continents. Um, it's it's not all that new. We were talking. No, no, but I think de decentralized microfinance would be really interesting because then it could be a peer-to-peer -peer lending, uh, which would be yeah. a lot easier to manage, and we wouldn't rely on a on a centralized platform. There is there is a massive issue about women getting finance. In mm. I mean, I, don't, I never even tried to get finance. Well, well, I didn't either because I, I couldn't. I wouldn't get it. I, I couldn't say that the banks and people are very keen to lend to women because they're less, you know, they've got a better risk profile. Well, I never found that. Never. No, me neither. That's exactly why. It's definitely something that's on the back of my mind. So I will report back, uh, Steve uh, and Sue, once I, uh, once I learn more. One of the things that I've always been quite interested in, you describe something as the beauty of work, mm. which I think is something you really believe. Could, could you just explain a bit more about what you mean by that, the beauty of work? My life is most satisfying to me when I'm working. Um, I have pleasure from my family life. My, my only child died, so it might have been different otherwise. Um, but I, I enjoy work. It, it's not just something I do when I'd rather be doing something else. So it's a question of, am I doing it better than I did yesterday? Am I doing it better than a month before? So that improvement, that perfectionism, that uh, continual um, drive uh, keeps me going. And to me, that is, has a beauty in the same way as the mathematics that we use in all of the science that we do um, has, has a beauty of its own. Does that make sense? I think I think that's where Somi comes from. I mean, I, I've got um, I'm lucky enough to have three grandchildren and, and two children, and and you know I do I do think right. I must spend some time with my family now, and I must do this and I must do that. But but I sort of have to consciously. <laughs> it's not that I don't love them, and I love being with them, but I do have to divide my time up and make sure I do it because my default mechanism is actually I'd really quite like to be doing some work now I, I think probably my whole life really and I have learned how to you know balance that all out and but but I I, I love being at work I love it I think the only time I forget work uh, was when I was with my my son um, and the only time I forget, forget him was when I'm working that's what drives my life and uh, makes each day wish past you know I can't believe it's so you really like to be engrossed in something, right? That's like the type of people that I think we are when you love your work or, you know, when you're with your son, then you, you want to be really engrossed in something. You're, you're doing a lot of analysis. Are, are you analyzing the sort of personalities of entrepreneurs? I think that's persistence, that resilience, that perhaps the word in, engrossed is also relevant, uh, is, is what makes us survive quite apart from success. It always feels like meditation to me. I've never yeah. been able to meditate, but you know when you're sort of going to this Zen mode and actually you don't know what the time is, and 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 I, I find it quite easy to block out what's going on around me and like and you know really concentrate. You know maybe maybe that's how I find it. I find it almost meditative. I talk about hyper focus, mm. but when people sort of say well, you know lunch is being served, I really don't hear them. You know, I, I'm just away. Not with mm. the ferret, but I, I'm mm. thoroughly enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so um, you were, Steve, you were a math genius, right, uh, in your youth, and you, I'm guessing you still are. Do you think that men and women learn math differently? Well, I've been reading about this recently, and it seems that there is a difference how they learn, and it, that difference exhibits itself quite early on, three, four, five, six, seven years old. Um, why that should be, who knows? Uh, mathematics is the key, I think, to all science. Uh, I'm not incidentally able to uh, enjoy mathematics anymore. It's very much a young person's game. Uh, but there does seem to be a gendered difference. And perhaps it's really worth researching a bit as to why that should be and how it operates. Yeah, you know, in our um, in the organization that I'm building, Fanpeak, um, in tw by 2026, we want to be 
at a position where we are building what I call a fem lab, which is where we would research these types of things where nobody else is really putting money behind. You know, once the organization gets to a point that is making enough money that we can then uh, put money behind research. This is one of the things that I really want to research because I feel like if men and women learn math differently, the problem is that the, the whole school system is designed in a way to teach it the way that it works for boys, you know, and for men and maybe just a small fraction of women. So that's a much, much bigger question. The whole school system is clearly designed first to work in structured ways um, to follow rules, um, to, to re repeat and perfect. Whereas I, and I think from short period, both of you um, are really much more interested in innovation, in doing something new, in making new things happen, in making um, some sort of disparity, in, 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 in bringing out yourself as being different. You're the first. Mm -hmm. I find the um, I find the education system to be absolutely hopeless for me as an employer. Use I mean really useless. Um, and um, and so what we we did with my company is we we always advertise jobs um, and not require qualifications. As you said, I need people who can change, think, have great ideas, you know whatever. And that is not what the school system builds at all. And in fact, it's not what a lot of large organisations are looking for. Um, whereas we wanted people who were off the wall or could bounce an idea off somebody else who thought completely differently and could move quickly. Um, and therefore, what we did is actually recruit on behaviours and values um, and not educational ability at all. Um, and, and, and that, I mean, one of the things I know that you write about a lot is surround yourself by great people. Um, and for me, we surrounded ourselves with great people who were from this most amazing background, uh, really. Um, so, so that has really paid off for me in my business. Um, and, and I think school is failing a lot of young people who, who are bored by it and, and actually can't see the relevance of it. And you know what? I can't either. Um, it's not I, I visited um, a charity recently and they said in discussion that they, um, they did value recruitment. And I always question something if I don't understand it. I said, value recruitment, I haven't heard that. What does it mean? And it means recruiting not against qualifications, but against people's values. And I realise I have always done that. Mm -hmm. I have fitted jobs to people rather than people to jobs. Um, I've always been much more interested in, in people, people's ethics, in their quality, in their values. Um, rather than what degree that they've got and, and, and certainly what class. So you may be interested, actually, the way that I hire people, um, I say, send me a one minute video and explain why you want this job. And then I choose from there. We, we've had a couple of people who've been amazing who are not technically literate at all, actually. Um, and one person came to an interview that we had and she came with a cake that she'd made. Oh my God, it was delicious. It was just delicious. And then she explained how she got manage these ingredients and she did this and she did that, the other and what we're more interested in is is come and explain yourself in the way that you feel comfortable with because again with all due respect so i mean you're already cutting out a whole bunch of people who maybe have to be very good at that job just that they don't know how to do the video thing you know that thing isn't their medium they're not they're not very confident with it um and and, and i and i think for me it's how can how can we encourage more people to be more confident just because they didn't go through this process and get whatever qualification what I actually said in the uh, when I posted, I, I was like, the, one of the reasons why I do this is because that's part of the thing that I expect. So if I'm, it's your you know, business, so yeah, yeah. Like, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you can't record a good video and send me, uh, you know, first of all, it cuts out all of the. Uh, but I really want somebody who is really uh, comfortable with media and and you know writing and like creating. It's very difficult to remain inclusive because. Um, thinking about the 1% of the population that's on the autistic spectrum, in no way can they present in any way that you would find acceptable. They would come over as absolute blobs, and yet they are so technically able to look at patterns, able to see the variations in a pattern, or the, 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 the mistake is there. It, they, they have extraordinary sort of hyper-focus and extraordinary capabilities. So, so actually, yes. you somebody like that, uh, uh, Steve, how, how would you 
be able to draw that out and 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 include that in the in the way that you're interviewing so that you don't you don't automatically cut that. It's almost like going back to the old-fashioned typing tests. You have somebody in for um, three weeks, perhaps, uh, paying them like an internship, a nominal amount, or, or nothing. Most of them would come for nothing. Um, and um, just try them on a job working in a team. And um, some corporates use Lego to see if they can, if, as part of a teamwork, build a bridge with Lego, that sort of project. And they, they see how they are as people, how, how they react to um, timescales, how they react to working in a team, um, and make an evaluation in, in, in that way. So actually, um, let's talk a little bit more about this uh, autism and, and neurodiversity. So first of all, for the role that I, I was hiring, I needed somebody who had those skills. There, it depends on what role you're hiring for. If I'm hiring a, um, let's say, a developer, I don't care if they can't operate a camera. I want them to be able to be a good engineer. But if I'm hiring a chief of staff who is going to have to be on camera constantly talking to people, and you know, then I need that person to be able to do that. Um, but uh, you know, talking about autism, so I have mild to moderate, you know, depending on the situation, uh, autism and pretty severe kind of like, I suppose, you know, ADHD, essentially, ADHD. So it's like either hyper-focus or can't focus or and hyperactive, all that stuff. So I'm definitely somewhere on the spectrum. I don't know. It's just like so difficult these days to explain because there's so many different uh, things. And I've been on medication for my ADHD for many, many years. I'm trying to cut back. You know, I'm now on the lowest possible dose and I'm trying to come off it. Um, why do you want to come off? It's too, uh, the side effects are too bad. I've been on it for 16, 17 years. Makes you so dehydrated. <clears throat> and I'll, also I feel like it makes me, like I can't smile much, you know. It, it, it's like putting on like um, blinds on a horse. It, that's how it feels. And um, when I'm not on it, I feel more um, creative. So it's for me, it's kind of like having a balance between being able to focus and being creative. But that so, balance is very important. And, and the thought of taking yourself slowly off or medication for something like that. It's like schizophrenics, you know, that never take their medication because they feel so good and immediately they're in trouble. Um, you know, I do believe that certain things, if medication helps, <laughs> please, please stay on it. I think what I've figured is that I'm now on the lowest possible dose, uh, but it, it works. And then on, in addition to that, I take a ton of supplements, a lot of supplements uh, that, that also help me, you know, with my focus and, and brain function, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, meditation, things like that. So, but um, yeah, going back to that uh, neurodiversity issue, you're right when you say that uh, some people with those neurodivergent, you know, uh, personalities uh, and, and tendencies, they have something to bring to the table. But the truth is that it is harder. Like that's why, for example, I will find it very hard to work in an organization. That's why I have to build my own organization and, and you know, uh, my own kind of, you know, uh, somewhere that I have the freedom to uh, develop things the way that, um, you know, my, my brain is kind of pushing me to do. So I guess the question is, is it the organizations should, that should meet halfway or is it the people that should that have neurodiversity, you know, should try to... I mean, I've set up schools for autistic pupils and so on. And, and the, the aim is to make them more and more um, fit into society and not be unhappy in society. Nevertheless, it is equally our, it's very arrogant to think that they really need to learn to, to think as I do, um, rather than me learn to communicate with them. Do I read their body language correctly? They certainly don't read my body language correctly, but it's a sort of dual disability. So I think society has now started to recognize that here is about 1% of the population that is under, uh, enjoyed, underutilized, underexploited in a positive way. Um, and certainly um, business needs those sorts of skills. 
Um, I have a research charity um, that is it's the largest autism research charity in Europe, actually. Um, that's 40% autistic, um, including the chief executive. And he has, uh, he's been with us several years um, and he has learned to make himself much more acceptable. He is exactly the same, but he has learned certain techniques as we have in dealing with him. I must remember to tell him this. I must remember to tell him that. Yeah. That's much easier when you are in charge of your own organization or you know, or you are at a higher level, right? And uh, yeah. Um, can I ask a, a different uh, question? Something that I'm I'm quite interested in. Is that all right, Sammy? Sure, sure. Go ahead. So, um, you, so you exited your company uh, uh, quite a long time ago, um, and reading in your book, uh, "Let It Go." Although I've got a 2013 version, so I think it's probably been updated loads by then. But um, uh, retiring and moving away. So my company's been bought out. Been bought out by a, a corporate who probably doesn't quite share the same values as I do, and is possibly taking it in a direction slightly different from me. How do you, uh, you know, can you give me some advice? How do you you start to pull back? Because as it says in your book, you know, I, you know, I felt quite affronted when they asked me to take early retirement, and it's like, well, um, what are my views now? Whereas actually, I'm bringing in loads of business, I'm being an ambassador, talking more and more, you know, exactly like you. But so how do you cope with that next stage when you're having to let go? It's like anything that, 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 that happens. You are where you are. You're going to have to let go. Um, look on the good side that, the, the, you know, the day-to-day -day hassle is being removed from you. You still have the joy of seeing your company, your baby, your creation move in different ways and, and, and try and get yourself into a position of, um, you know, honoured guest and so on, so that you still feel uh, part of that family. I mean, we had a, a company re reunion a couple of years ago. That was a lovely feeling. But, I mean, it's very superficial. Um, I served for years the corporate social uh, di director for the, the company that took over mine. Um, just one year, and it just sort of eased things a little bit. But of course, the real thing is to find other things that you want to do now and that really use your skills that you have now, as I think you are doing, um, really handing on the baton to the next generation. I do believe that age has a lot um, to commend it, um, you know, the wisdom that we have, the, the sort of, not the, yes, the sort of stability, we can deal with, with crises in a quite different way, because we've seen so much in the last few years. Th these are very valuable. I enjoyed working as a non-executive director uh, for other companies. Uh, I found that used um, all my skills. Um, I found it was sufficiently prestigious that I didn't feel, oh dear, you know, and there has been. Um, and that was a transition that I think I would recommend. Um, you can say to companies with whom you are, um, well, I mean, I was on the board of John Lewis, for example, and I'd known them for ages because of the interest in co-ownership. But it was not, a, chairmen don't like offering non-executive positions if they think they're going to be refused. So I did it the other way. I actually said to the chairman, when I'd been talking about something completely different at the end of the meeting, as I was leaving, lovely to be being, if I can ever help you at a corporate level, do let me know. And, and out I went. Fortnight later, I had an invitation to serve on their board. So, you know, you can make this happen. And I found that very satisfying. Yeah, I have a few um, non-execs. And, uh, um, yeah, I think that's enjoying I'm enjoying that, especially the fact you don't have to actually follow through with your advice. <laughs> It's like, I think you should do this. Bye. Sort of thing. Um, Can yeah. I please have both of you as non-execs for... <laughs> okay, thank you for that. I think, I think it's one of the things that aren't talked about is how you get out of work just as much as how you get in work. When some people are waiting to retire. I don't really ever want to retire. I still have a working professional life that as long as people what my skills um, I shall continue doing. I found writing my book quite absorbing during lockdown. And I wrote a second book. First one was called Let It Go. This is called So To Speak. And this is where uh, it's a beautifully designed book, self-published. Um, uh, about 30 of my 
major speeches over a range of topics over the last 40 years. And that kept me busy during lockdown when I wasn't doing all the Amazing. other things. Mm -hmm. I like to be busy. I like to be doing things. I like to have against the timescale. If, if my timescale is too long, I, ne I never deliver. So, so you sort of, what you're saying is morph it into something, morph that energy into something else. I have to say, getting older, that all sounds great. I'm, I'm very pleased with my experience and help very happy to help somebody. The body falling apart is a bit I'm not quite so keen on. Why so me? <laughs> take, take supplements. I just, I, I actually just did, uh, um, Steve, I just did a test, you know, they do these um, tests that they look at your glyc, it's called glyconage. So they look at your age based on, you know, the glycon. Uh, 27. Very good. <laughs> 12 years younger. <laughs> but you know i think i think that uh, the the supplements help um seriously though women we've been known as the weaker sex and it does behove us to look after our bodies i agree if you're in pain it's very hard to be creative if you're worried about something really life-changing in your life it's very hard to focus uh, on your professional life and I try to eat sensibly. I no longer smoke. I hardly drink. I swim two or three times a week, a quarter of a mile. You know, I really try and keep fit. And that's my contribution for, it, it, it's sort of payment in a sense for, for being able still to write and deliver and make things happen. That's so lovely. Can I just say that I really love you? <laughs> listening to you and I'm like I want to grow up to be like you <laughs> thank you you're, think, you're just so you're yeah. just such an inspiration I think the thing for me is if you watch um some of Steve's um particularly the the, the TED talk that I really I like, have seen yes which is about women you, you can always tell ambitious women by the shape of our heads um, I think, <laughs> I think what, what comes to me is, is that, that passion which is something that Somi and I have talked quite a lot about you know you still have that passion you still have that desire, you still have that dreadful twinkle in your eye. And I think that is what, you know, makes, keeps people young and keeps people you on top of what you're doing. Definitely. I actually, once I, once we got the uh, agreement with Linda that I was going to do this interview, I sent the link, link to your TED talk to everybody I knew. And I was like, I'm going to interview her. And I was like, I'm going to grow up to be like, <laughs> you know, like uh, Steve. Um, so Steve, I wanted to ask you about something that's very close to my heart. You talked in your book about how you were let down by um, some of the women that you worked with um, and the way that, you know, you trusted uh, or you brought them in, you brought them under your wings and then it's always disappointing. It's happened two or three times in a 45-year company life, so it's not an everyday thing. I think I really wasn't tough enough to deal with it at the time. Um, I should, probably today, I would react quite differently. But there's another way of looking at it. We've all broken away from whatever it was that we were doing. Other people have trained us and brought us up, brought us to, to a position where we are able to run a company. Um, and most new companies fail anyway. Um, if you start off with, with the, the knowledge that comes from seven years experience in a, with a decent employer or something, at least it's a, it's a good grounding. So I, I don't feel as strongly now about a breakaway okay. group as long as it's done professionally. Um, you know, you can't, I had industrial espionage, which was extremely unpleasant. Um, and, and that is very upsetting that, that one of, uh, a member family, or it seems like a member family, is, is is working against the family's best, well, what I consider to be their best interests. Um, so yes, it was hurtful. Um, I think as over the years, I've built up a carapace of, of, I don't let, even if something does hurt me, I don't think anybody knows. And that's probably necessary as well. You know, who, who does that? Um, and, and, and I think, I'm still naive enough to be shocked by things like that because I don't, I don't really think people behave like that. And I just, I need to grow up because I, I, I do still get quite shocked by somebody who would do, not whether they, I'm very happy actually for somebody to break away from my company and, and start on their own if they do it in the right way. I'm, I'm actually, don't that. but as you say, if somebody what is effectively stealing 
clients or stealing data which is completely contrary to to their contract or, or even general ethics and morals you know I, I find that incredibly disappointing and I, and I still do yes especially women doing it to women you know like that so there's been many times where when i've been talking to both women and men um in the professional world and and i've heard this comment that actually women's worst enemy are other women um and i don't like that i don't like to hear that i don't want to agree to that i just don't agree with that yeah, I, I don't agree. Yeah, in this world, you get two sorts of people. You get those people who give and those people who take. So, yeah, so that's why I feel very strongly about women supporting women. Um, and uh, I think that it's important for it to be seen that way. There's been many times that women have been telling me that in a in a, a boardroom, the person that would put them down most was another woman or, you know, uh, that if they wanted to get a promotion, you know, there was another woman that didn't allow them to, to well, get that. This is, this is when women start aping men's styles, they're very aggressive, not team working, very individualistic. What's in it for me? Um, you know, he, he owes me one. These are expressions that women tend not to use. And men seem to find them very natural to think that all, all relationships are transactional. They're, they're not emotional. They're not value-driven, they're transactional. He owes me something, so I will ask him to do this. That's women trying to outman men. It's not a good tactic, trust me. So, Sue, do you want to ask a question, and then I will ask my last question? Cool, blimey, you put me on the spot there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think that uh, one of the things you say about um, um, being an entrepreneur is you've got to have energy. Undoubtedly, you're going to have to draw on (laughs) lots of energy self-belief and commitment and to me that still hasn't changed i don't know if you agree with that but but unless you've got those things you're going to find it really hard because it's tough it is a tough decision to start on your own you know have some wonderful wonderful invention that came to you as you dreamed would that be enough i don't think it would most of us are making perfectly ordinary ideas into something special don't, I, I really don't think any of that has changed. I, I don't know if you agree. I mean, it will always be like that. If you if you want to make a success, it isn't easy. And, and I think successful people sometimes make it look easy, but it's really hard. And there's nobody who's done it, and it hasn't been tough somewhere along the line. My but, colleagues never liked me saying, I don't know, whereas to me it's natural to say, I don't know, explain it to me, please. And they sort of said, you're supposed to know. Um, and they never liked me talking about business mistakes. And I think that's how one learns from one's, one's mistakes, not the successes come hard enough, uh, but you learn from your failures. And that actually sort of ties well into my uh, last question. Of course, I could speak to you forever, but I'm uh, aware that we only have an hour. Um, so this one is a, is. I believe it's one of the biggest challenges of our time for women in business. And we talked about it very briefly, but I want to touch upon it and and break it down a little bit more around the whole dynamics of um, male-female relationship and the way that, you know, historically women have been almost programmed to look up you know, to marry up, to date up, you know, however you want to look at it. Uh, and women have been, uh, and, and men have been uh, programmed to, you know, marry down, you know, somebody who has less money, maybe is more pretty, but but has less money, right? Actually, wait, wait for the years. <laughs> maybe sooner, you know, when, when you, um, money is also a, a great aphrodisiac. It's quite attractive. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I'm trying to say is that attractive to men if you're a woman. No, that's what that's exactly my my point, right? So, so Steve, are you saying that you know now because you're this you know literally multi-billionaire, although you're a huge philanthropist, you, you know you, you're now suddenly much more attractive to men. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that that will be the case. But but would you be attracted to them? That's what I mean. No, I, I, I'm attracted to intellect. I like intellectual men. Um, I just find my husband uh, was a physicist. 
Um, he's um, very complimentary to me. He's quiet where I'm noisy. He's introspective where I'm extrovert or, you know, we really feel very differently. And we've been married for 61 years. Wow. That's amazing. We find you much more attractive now. You've got loads of money, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> up with my cooking um, oh, you, have, um, you know a wonderful recipe for shepherd's pie which I, I will share with you all um, shepherd's pie all I have all I have to do is mention it and he insists we eat out <laughs> excellent <laughs> love it love it but how about the younger generation now like we're basically we're coming to a place where it seems like Look, on the one hand, we want women to succeed, okay? But as women are starting to succeed, many men aren't going to be attracted to that. But also that woman still is um, programmed to date up. Uh, so basically what I'm trying to say is that for, for successful females, there is a smaller pool. Agreed, I think, yeah. So how do we solve that problem? Because could it be that we are going to... Many women may not want to be that successful. You know, I, I have actually uh, a very good friend of mine who is very successful. And she says that in her relationship, she plays her success down. That's one of the key things. In my world. first job, I can remember young men asking me what I do. And I said, I work for the post office, <laughs> hoping that they would think I sold stamps because being a mathematician is not really considered hot at all. <laughs> Well, well, my company was a tax company. Can you imagine if you tell anyone? Oh, you tax. Nobody ever speaks to you. Well, you never get invited to dinner. I mean, certainly, even if they were doing shepherd's pie, you would not get invited to dinner um, uh, because it's just seen as incredibly boring. Um, uh, but the the I'm not a great fan of um, Cheryl Sandberg. Um, but you know, one of the things she says is that women tend to play down their success because because other people don't really like it. They don't really like women being successful in a social sphere. They find it a bit difficult to handle. And I don't really think that's changed much yet. I think in the public service uh, worldwide, uh, we nearly had a woman president. We've got a woman vice president at the moment. I see it so differently, but then I've been around so long and I, I just hope it does continue. But as I said earlier in this conversation, things can go backward as well as forward and it behoves us all to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. But what I think I was trying to say is that I bet they don't talk about it and socially about how marvellous they are at being vice president, whereas I can't imagine, for example, Donald Trump doing anything other than telling everybody how wonderful he was as president. But do you know what I mean? I think maybe we play our successes down a bit, even though I do think women are making great strides. I think Good. I might be more modest. Long may it continue. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Steve. I mean, uh, you're... you're uh, total role model and inspiration possibly, possibly not on the cooking front but <laughs> every other area of my life I, i'm um yes it, you have been a great role it's model been, and I'm been sure great to be with you thank you both very much and your new book will it be on audible as well uh no it won't no okay so i'd better get it then from amazon or from my website sure i'll get it all right thank it's you so much such a pleasure thank you thank bye you bye. take care bye bye I hope you enjoyed this conversation between Steve, Sue and myself. As always, it's a real privilege to be able to share these conversations with you and I can't wait to see you next time. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Somi Aryan podcast on Apple, Spotify or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. You can also find the full video of these conversations on my YouTube channel and connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Clubhouse at Somi Ariane. Finally, if you're not yet a member of Fempeak, head over to fempeak.ai, register and join a community that actively supports women's professional growth.